Welcome to The Hype Within, exploring journeys of authentic leadership and growth. On our show, guests will share their stories of developing their leadership skills and challenges they faced along the way. You'll learn about their approaches to self-reflection and personal growth and how they've been able to build a foundation of authenticity that has propelled them to success. I'm your host, Hannah Jakover, B2B marketing leader turned leadership and executive coach. Are you ready to get hyped up? Let's dive in. Hey, leaders. Today, I'm super excited to welcome to the show community expert, founder, political operative, and marketing leader, Dan Schmela. Hannah, it's just such an honor to be here. So uh, we've been in similar circles for a while. I've always been a huge fan of your work. So I'm just really happy to be here. I'm happy you're here too. Just a little bit of background for Dan. So Dan is the former general manager at Modern Sales Pros, which I'm sure a lot of you will recognize that community, founder at Leaders Vote and Election Day Off, which we'll talk about. And where I had the pleasure of working with Dan was while he was in his role of VP of Brand and Community at Chili Piper. And now Dan is currently VP of Community at Apollo. Yeah, and I'm just... uh let's get into it. Yeah, me too. So tell us a little bit about your background. I want to hear all about this political operative business and your background in tech and your current role. Okay. So I'm like the marketer who just loves sales and is like obsessed with sales. And for me, it started in college when I joined this company called Bell Tower Books, which is basically, maybe you've seen it in college. They're the kids who just like buy people's textbooks for money. So I found that at the end of every semester, I could find the classes with the largest number of students as a ratio of how much money I could get from the books. And I'd be like, hello, professor. I'm a young entrepreneur. Set up a table outside the class, buying tens and tens of thousands of books every exam week. Maybe I should have spent more time focusing on exams. But it's how I got my start in business. I uh, you know, was like the best seller they'd ever whatever. But it was just buying books. So it was pretty fun. From there, I joined a nonprofit where I probably learned the most about leadership. It was called VPIRT, Vermont's Voice. And it's one of those orgs that goes out, they knock on your door and ask you for money. And I would really recommend like people join a canvassing operation because you learn a huge amount about how to interact with people and how to manage people. You have the same conversation, just knocking on a stranger's door, right? You learn a lot about how to approach people, about how to face rejection and things like that. But it goes beyond that, where each day we'd send out a group of like four or five in a car. And very early in my career, I learned that the energy that you receive from people and the energy that you give back to them will follow them through their workday. What's really interesting about this is you deploy someone and like the the nature of your high five and like you could tell how well someone's going to do as soon as they leave the car. So It was really, really fun. I learned a ton there, probably more about leadership there than I did anywhere else. Then I worked in politics. I managed the persuasion program for Bernie Sanders in New Hampshire, originally supposed to have a team of two, but that team expanded to 45. And it was awesome. I met just so many amazing people who, some of who are now my mentors. It was really awesome. After that, I traveled with Bernie, did all of his events, did some consulting for some door-to-door companies where I met Pete Kazanji who brought me on as the fourth employee at Atrium. I was the operations manager for a community called Modern Sales Pros. It was about 1,000 members. Two years later, it was 14,000. 
We had events across 15 cities. We brought in a few million sponsorship revenue. And I was the GM of that org. Went back into politics. This time it ended a little bit better. I was working for Bernie, then Joe Biden. I managed all Joe Biden's LinkedIn efforts or lack thereof, right? And then joined Chili Piper, scaled a team of 10 there. Uh, by the time I left in the last six months, we surveyed all of our customers and 60% of our net new customers heard of us first through social media or community, which was really, really fun. And now I'm at Apollo and I'm just really excited for, for what's next and to uplift those around me and be uplifted by those around me. Uh, so there you go in a maybe less than short synopsis. That's my background. I have so many questions. I'm amped on this. So the first thing that I want to dig into that you mentioned is you talked about energy, which I am a big proponent of talking about energy, auditing energy, leveraging energy. And I believe that energy is the most important resource above time and money. People are always like, I need more time. I need more money. But energy, you can do so much more with. So I want to hear your take a little bit more about energy. I completely agree with what you said about <clears throat> you can tell how people are going to perform. You can influence somebody else's energy based on your energy. And I'm curious how you learned all of that and how you bring that into your leadership. Oh my gosh, we could talk about this forever. And maybe I can give uh, like an aside first where one of, my, one of my first bit of advice I would have for other leaders out there is to not judge people based off their energy. Because, you know, everybody's totally different. And it's also to not let your energy plow through everyone around you. When I was younger, maybe this will surprise you. Everyone watching who knows me is not surprised. But I got a lot of complaints that I had too much energy. It's like, wow, there's too much energy. It's all over the place. What are we going to do? In fact, this canvassing org that I told you about, you have to raise a certain amount of money each day. And the bosses, they were like, this guy is weird. Let's send him to the towns where it's really hard to fundraise. And I ended up pulling it off anyway. A couple things I would say about energy. And the first would stem from a question I asked the listener to ask themselves right now. In your eight, your six, your 10-hour day, your 12-hour day, whatever, are you really your best? For what percentage of that are your best? And I'll be honest, for me, it varies. Sometimes I'm like really productive for most of the day. Sometimes I'll let hours go by. And I found I've just been beating my head against the wall. Energy is really important because it's what matters to get results and to grow your career is not the hours that you work. It's the results that you get with the time that you work. And I would put forth that one of the best things you can do to get those results is to maintain an energy that allows you to do a couple things. One, it allows you to be creative. There are so many times where I've approached a problem and six people are trying to figure out the problem the same way, and they've thought about it so much that they're not able to be creative. But if you have an energy where you're not so buried in tasks that you're able to give your brain the freedom to think about things from a new angle, if you're happy, if you're willing to experiment, if you feel comfortable with your manager enough to, to take risks and present bad ideas, that energy is what will enable you to differentiate yourself from everyone else. A great example of this is like playbooks, right? Everyone goes to business school. They learn the same playbooks. Those playbooks don't work because they're mass adopted. If instead in school we were taught more about how to put ourselves into a problem-solving mindset, how to uplift the energy of those around us and ourselves, you'd find a lot more people approaching each problem confident they could find solutions. Another thing on energy is that it's totally real. 
It's totally real. And like, we've all felt it. Like the concept of being in the zone. Hannah, what does being in the zone mean to you? You're in the zone. What does that mean? For me in the zone, because I've done some of this work is I know what brainwave state that I'm in. And it's allowing me to have complete creative focus on whatever it is in front of me, whatever the one thing is that I think is the most important to work on. And I know that I'm working with my body and my ultradian rhythm to like maintain all of this for a certain amount of time. So that's what being in the zone means for me. Yeah. And it's like, what percentage of your like breakthrough work has come when you've been in the zone? Like the things that are like really true innovations or, or moments of inspiration. For me, one thing that I have found to be so important is understanding, like, how does your brain work, your energy output, your ultradian rhythm literally controls your energy outputs and your productivity outputs. And if you don't understand that, how could you possibly know how to use your energy and how to focus that energy and when to use it? And the fact that you're only going to get 90 minutes of like solid focus time before you have to go do something else. And I'm curious because you said yeah. getting into that zone for you, like how do you get into that zone or how do you encourage others to get into that problem solving creative zone? Yeah, so there are a couple ways you can do it. There's the energy suckers and then there's the energy givers. So the number one thing that I think makes it more difficult to get in the zone is to have a boss who's like a detractor or a minimizer. And what I would say is if you're here and you're like, what's a minimizer? It might be you. I even found out at one point that I was kind of a minimizer, even though I was getting great feedback on how I power folks. But if you don't give your team the freedom to fail, if you don't give them the emotional space and the comfort to take risks, then you are going to minimize the impact they have because you're not going to let them get into that creative zone. Another example is if you have a billion ideas all the time and you're always pushing all your ideas at your team, you're going to crowd out their ideas. You're going to make it more difficult mm -hmm. for them to get in the zone. If you're a perfectionist and you require that everything they do is absolutely perfect and you're not satisfied with you know, a process where you let the good champion over the perfect, which would be the enemy of the good, then you're also going to minimize energy around your folks. So one of the most important things for energy is just to make sure you surround yourselves with people who give you energy. That means you hire people who give you energy, people who are positive, who are solutions oriented, who want to see you succeed. It also means that you need to make sure your team has the space to have that autonomy. Because although you want your team to fight their own fights, they're not prepared to pick a fight with the CEO who tells them that their CEO's project or whatever is more important than the OKRs they've been focused on for a long period of time. One other thing I would say on energy is just consistency and space is really important. So it's really hard to like think creatively and think non-linearly when your priorities change all the time. There's a book called Nonviolent Communication that I recommend folks read if you are struggling with someone who might be pulling energy from your team. Here's a great example of a statement that I use to wrest control back for my team. It'd be like, uh, you know, I've observed that our priorities often change without us being part of that decision, would it be possible to loop us in for priority changes, be a part of that conversation? Because we value autonomy, openness, and collaboration in order to be successful. Those are the type of conversations where you take your team and they stop being like a, a doer of tasks and they become a fulfiller of objectives and they become a partner. And that's how it enables folks as a manager to, to really have an energy where they're excited about work 
where they want to innovate. So that's one thing. Two other things that helped me get in the zone personally. One, I think everyone has a time when they're most productive. For me, it's around 8 to 10 a.m. when I'm not getting blown up by all these Slack messages. So that's one way to get your energy up, like consistent time thinking. Another way to get your energy up is to minimize distractions. You're in the middle of thinking about a project. Maybe you're like two, three minutes away from like a massive breakthrough. You get a Slack message. It pulls you out of that zone. So you need to make space for yourself to be proactive versus reactive. The last thing I would say to maintain your energy, and this is going to seem like kind of a crazy thing, but like don't always work. In order to be whole within ourselves at work, I think we need to embrace the concept of a work-life balance. A lot of my best innovations have come uh, when I feel that I have the space to work really hard because I'm excited. For mm -hmm. example, in the summer, I'm able to work a little bit harder because I know at the end of the day, I can go swimming in this beautiful river in Vermont and it'll just relax me and feel great. In the winter, sometimes I struggle a little bit more to get in the zone because I'm like working hard all day and then I look outside and it's like two degrees and it's dark out. So there are a bunch of different ways to find the zone yourself, but as managers, it's also important that you, without coddling your team, help teach them how to create space for themselves so that they can get into the zone and not be distracted by the priorities of those around them. And those folks might not even have a full contextual understanding of the work they're doing. So they might ask you to prioritize something that's less important and is the two harms of pulling you from your project and pulling your mental state from the ability to, to really make leaps. The top employees within an org, they're not like 30% more effective. They're like one to 200 times the impact of your average employee. And it's because like, uh, you know, employees that aren't, that don't have like the energy to get in the zone, they're going to take incremental steps forward. Employees that are truly creative and empowered and empowered to take risks are going to bring about paradigm shifts in your org. And it's like when we're trying to stand out, taking one step further is often not going to be enough, especially within roles like marketing uh, that are more creative. Woo! Oh, my goodness. I love everything you just said. I hope everyone's listening. <laughs> These are amazing tips, and you can tell that you've done a lot of the individual work to uncover the things that work for you and the things that also work for everybody around you to excel in their roles and also live a really great life. A couple of things that you said that I think are really important and they, they kind of go together is you kept talking about taking risks and, and having like once you have this energy, you have this ability to have a team that thinks creatively and you welcome that space. And then it comes down to feeling like you can share all of that, feeling like you're in this environment that those are appropriate actions. To me, what I'm hearing is psychological safety. And even when you talk about nonviolent communication too, having that framework in place to where it is a safe place to communicate like that and share what the observations and the needs are. But how do you view psychological safety and how do you create it as a leader? Which is, I feel like the answer to everything in the world is like, it really depends because it's like how mm -hmm. one person defines and needs psychological safety and support might be very different from how someone else needs and support. So I'd say the very first thing that you should do is just ensure that your people on your team know that you're on their side um, and that it's together. Because there's like, sometimes you get a mid-level sales managers where it's like, you need to know your boss isn't your friend. Or it's like, I'll be your friend 
and I am friends with a lot of my employees anyway, I don't have to be someone's friend to like orient them towards what's going to benefit their life, right? So a way to bring about psychological safety early is to ask people like, what feedback? How do you like giving feedback? What feedback do you have for me on how I can be a better manager? Letting them know that you're open to feedback is really important also. Otherwise, they're going to be all scared to give you feedback, um, which is for you to be kind of there for them. Like, hey, style is one where the, the leader takes their style and it's deferential to the way that their team wants to be managed. This is really important because if you don't do it, what's going to happen in a lot of cases is you're going to create like a bro culture uh, that's great introverts. And you're going to drown out all the introverts ideas out there. And it'll probably also mm -hmm. be like a bunch of men clamoring up also because like men are just much more willing to uh, believe that they're all the time, I think. I think there was some really interesting data that showed on on applications that it's like men will feel comfortable applying to jobs that they only meet 80% of the criteria for and women need to meet like 90% or like I don't know the stat exactly all the stats all for for like all kinds like you know probably like extroverted confident dudes who've been socialized to believe that they're right their whole lives are going to be much more likely to to give feedback and you need to make sure that you create spaces for everyone so for me, psychological safety is like knowing a manager are seeking to understand the, the goals on your team and orient them towards those goals. For me, there are kind of five things that I try and focus on when I'm trying to help someone pick priorities, right? Then is like, what is the act to the business, right? Obviously, that's the most important thing. The second one is how difficult is this to do, right? And that's, yeah, duh. But then there's some other ones that are maybe less uh, obvious, like, how does this work align with the skills of the person that's doing it? How does this work align with what brings joy for the person who's doing it? And how does this visible to enable people to meet their long-term professional development goals, like getting a raise, getting a promotion? Oftentimes I'll talk to someone, maybe they had a bad manager who left or whatever, and I'll be like, I just have a question. Like, has your ever proactively tried to connect you with a group of mentors outside of the company? that can level you up in each stage of your career? Has your manager talked to you about what your next promotion is and how you can get to that? Has the person that you're working with sat down and asked you, where do you want to be in one year, in three years, in five years? And then when you can't answer that question, they push you continually to do that. An easy thing I like to do to establish psychological safety is to establish uh, like uh, mentors for those on my team that aren't at the company. Because if you're like taking all mentorship and being like, here's your Apollo mentorship, all this stuff, there's uh, employees towards opportunities for growth, even if that growth is going to come outside of the company. And at the same time, they try to arrange the programs within the company so that people have more opportunity in their current role than they'll have anywhere else. Um, change at some point, but, but so far in software, I've had, you know, I've had hundreds of employees in general, mostly door knocking. But in the SaaS world, I've had about 18 employees. I've never had an employee leave uh, my team. Uh, we've had to let go of people. But when I ask them why, they're like, you're the person who, who wants to help me grow my career, not just get stuff done in the context of our, our role. And oftentimes, the two are one and the same. Um, yeah. And just like we were saying earlier, like people stay with people and people leave bad managers, right? Like. If you can just be a good human and approach management and leadership from that perspective of building psychological safety, building a place for people to really tell you exactly what they want and help you 
get them to that place, no matter what it might be, they're going to follow you and they're going to be loyal to you because of the way that you've been able to inspire them and motivate them and help them through their career. And in turn, you know, that just creates this awesome cycle of mentors and even like reverse mentorship too, where one day like you'll be learning from your mentees. I'm always learning from my mentees and my coaches and and my five-year-old people who are much younger than me. Yeah, no, this happens all the time. And then the the one thing I'll add here, because it's like, I'm not saying like, oh, be the nicest person ever to your employees, because that is another way to erode psychological safety, right? The author of Radical Candor does an awesome job explaining this, where it's like, if your employees don't feel they're going to be challenged directly then they are going to actually feel unsafe because they're not going to know if they do a bad job if you're going to let them know. So what's really important is to care genuinely for your employees, but also give them real talk. When they do make a mistake, let them make that mistake and then have a conversation with them about how they can grow from that mistake. And that's often an aha moment too. Because I've entered so many of these conversations like, hey, let's do a debrief on the mail merge that was wrong or whatever. And people are just like freaked out. And, and, you know, I had a boss, Pika Zanji, who did a great job w- with this. Every time I would mess up, he'd be like, we're going to have a meeting. And I'd be like, oh, God. But then in the meeting, it would just be like very nice, very solutions oriented, very focused. And it made me feel comfortable because I knew that when he told me I was doing a good job or I was doing a bad job, it was the truth. Because if everything's always good, people are just going to stop believing you. And it is a scary time to be in tech where there are random layoffs that happen all the time. Really happy apologists had our three best months in our company's history back to back to back. But I've been on the other side of this thing, too. It's just so unpredictable. And we don't know what's coming. Nobody has, you know, I I like to say, like, time travel doesn't exist, right? It's always good to sort of anticipate and have that foresight. But on the other side of it, you as an individual can get so wrapped up in thinking about what's going to happen versus just staying in the present that it does become sort of like this anxiety spiral for employees. So I think just staying present, even as a leader, trying to get people to stay present is really important. You've shared a lot about inspiration, what gets you going in terms of leadership, thinking about energy and psychological safety. You've given some awesome tips around that. I'm wondering, what are some things that you've done for your own personal growth and transformation that has really allowed you to challenge some of the things that you're seeing in leadership and disrupt these norms, especially in the tech industry? This is a really good question. Well, let's do a couple tactical things. Uh, These aren't my things. These are some amazing processes built by Tyler Parsons, who was the VP of People at Chili Piper. And one of them that was amazing, a really great way to ensure that your team and you are oriented in the same direction is to just ask them. It's like, what? We did this thing called a Piper plan, which is in someone's first month, we filled this exercise together. And I mentioned it earlier, but it's like, what are your greatest skills? What are your weaknesses? What do you want to overcome with those weaknesses? What do you want to learn the most? What job do you want to have in a year, in three years, in five years? You take all that stuff, you write it down, you fill it out together, and then you ensure that the work that your team is focused on aligns to leveling them up. Here's a great example. I had an employee at Chili Piper, Nolan McCoy, amazing video editor. He's just awesome. He's so brilliant. I I just think so highly of him. But when we were talking about this, I'm not like, 
well, you know, I'm going to teach you how to do video editing. I was like, I would not be the right person for that. But I asked him what he really wanted to learn. And the first thing he said is he's like, I'd like to be a creative director in five years. And I'm like, why five years? So we changed that. And he's like, oh, I guess I can do it faster if I do this other stuff. That was the first thing. And another thing he wanted is he wanted to level up like a certain technical skill. And I was like, look, I'm not the guy to do that, but I'll help you find a mentor who can do that for you. Another thing where you're helping people meet their goals. The third was that he wanted to focus on executive presentation skills. So I changed the weekly one-on-one that I had with our CEO on the time to have him lead the meeting until he felt way more comfortable about it. It's like, these are really simple things that you can do to break from the mold of traditional leadership. And the way you do it is by focusing on helping people grow, not extract more from them. A lot of managers are like, I need to get as much work as possible out of Stevie so that he does whatever. But if you flip that and you said, how can I invest as much as possible into Stevie so that Stevie's more efficient, so that he's happier at work, so that he's okay when things change suddenly because he has a baseline of security and consistency in his or her commitments or whatever. I guess Stevie could be, could be a lady. So those are a couple things that you can do to make it really easy. Here's one other thing that's awesome. I love doing this. Challenge your team to set really tough goals, but reserve some space yourself to help them with those goals. As a manager, I always reserve a little bit of bandwidth so that when I can tell someone is overwhelmed or maybe they get something new thrown in their plate, you go in there and do the work yourself. As a canvasser, uh, door knocker, the number one thing that upset me would be like a manager who doesn't know how to knock doors. If you're not willing to do the work, why should I give you my loyalty? Life is a lot about reciprocity, consistency, and trust. And one of the greatest ways to earn trust with your employees is just to like get your hands dirty. I get this feedback all the time from folks on the teams that I serve. Wow, my past manager never helped me with programs. Well, your past manager was not getting your complete self because they didn't earn that level of trust where because you help them and they help you, they feel comfortable giving you constructive feedback as a manager. You need to actively solicit feedback for your manager. A one-on-one is not like a, hey, here's what you've been doing well. Here's what you haven't. It's, it's a recap on the partnership between you and those on the teams that you serve. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think earlier what you were describing too with the Piper plan, which I love, and following into your your next point around leaving space as a leader to jump in is you're also going to help yourself with delegation. And this is like a number one thing Mm -hmm. that emerging leaders are really, really bad at. They don't know how to delegate. What you've created is sort of this ladder of delegation where you are understanding what the fully autonomous top of the ladder is where at the bottom you say okay like I know what skills we need to work on I know where they want to be I know how I can help and so I'm going to start here at the bottom of the ladder and just start by kind of showing you how to do it and then you're going to do it and then I'm going to back off and you're going to like take full power over it and you've created an environment where they can easily step up this ladder And you can zoom in and jump in and out as needed. And obviously, as they reach kind of like that top of the ladder, maybe like where Nolan was looking to get, you're kind of stepping back at that point and able to then focus on other areas. I call it radical delegation. And it doesn't work with everyone. It's like, it depends. It's something I've said a hundred times. 
But if you're hiring like someone that is, their job is to innovate and think about things differently. Not every role is like that. Like sometimes in SDR, your job is to make calls and do stuff. I would say you could still trial out different fun, unique social selling motions within your own self and then deploy them to the broader team. But like not everyone is paid to innovate. But if you are paid to innovate, then as a manager, you need to create a path to complete trust. And this doesn't mean that you'll never like look at their work or support them. But it means that if you don't see a moment where this person will ever operate independently without you gating them, needing to approve everything that comes out, like you need to come up with a new plan or like potentially find a new employee. Uh, there's no greater joy than delegating something completely. And when those on the teams that you serve feel that things have been delegated completely to them, but you're still there to support them, but you're not there to save them, that's what's essential for them to get into the ownership mentality that's really needed. So you gotta you gotta build that path to the path to trust. Yeah, yeah. And the greatest, oh my gosh, like the most, at least from my experience as a leader, um, the most fulfilling experience was watching somebody climb that ladder and be at that top. And it's like they don't really need you anymore. And your relationship sort of changes into something still awesome, but different. And you watch them and you're just sitting back and watching them do their thing and putting their own spin on it and feeling so confident. Like that is, if you can watch that happen with your team, you're winning. <laughs> it is like the coolest thing ever. And I experienced it like all the time with like almost the majority of my employees after they've been there for a while. I'm very lucky that two uh, two employees that I work with at a pastoral uh, decided to join me at Apollo as well. So we already have that level of trust. Here's an example. Taylor Boger built the customer advisory board at Chili Piper, of which you remember. And then someone was like, hey, like, what? What's going on? There's an event and there's a Chili Piper employee speaking. And it was you speaking as an advisor for Chili Piper. And I was totally unaware that any of it was happening. And then my boss was like, hey, what is this? And I'm like, I don't even know. And they're like, how do you not know your programs? And I'm like, because the people running them are just so awesome. And it was weird where I had to convince my boss that the fact that I wasn't aware of this nuance of the program was like a good thing because it means that people don't need me to like gate them or anything. But one other thing that really helps with delegation is like ensuring that people get credit for it because credit thieves, and once again, the majority of the time in our current culture, it's just the way we're socialized. It's like, a lot of dudes who do this, who take credit for the work of others and they take credit of women on their team and stuff like that. I love to be the person who gives just so much credit to everyone around you. And then you're like, well, like, what's the, what's the benefit if you give credit to everyone on your team? Well, firstly, they actually did the work. So the reality of it is that it should be their credit. But the second thing is if your team knows that they're going to get credit for their work, they're going to be more inclined to do good work because they know it's going to help them meet their goals. Like, because, you know, we all love our software companies, but maybe we're trying to buy a house or like have kids or, you know, retire eventually and not work constantly our whole lives. And people need to know that that the hard effort they put in will push them further along the path towards those goals. So not only do you need to radically delegate, but you need to emphatically celebrate the results of that delegation and ensure that there's company wide alignment. Honestly, 
if you have a team that's successful, the number one thing, apart from ensuring that they feel comfortable, you can do is ensure that they get credit for their work because otherwise they're just going to leave. You'll have wasted all that time. It's interesting because I think what you're talking about, it takes a lot of personal work because your ego gets in the way. Like you need to really understand your ego and understand what's blocking you and your triggers and your attachments. What is your attachment to productivity at work? What is your attachment to like winning at work? And I think that it takes so much work to do what you're talking about. If you haven't done the personal development side of that, what have you done from a personal growth perspective that has allowed you to show up that way for your team? I would start off by saying I still have a lot of personal growth to do. I could be more organized. I can get back to people who send me LinkedIn DMs. They're like 100 people watching right now. It's like, oh, yeah, Dan's so great. Where's my Slack message back? One thing that's always really helped me is to ensure that my work sits at the intersection of passion and excellence. So I'm motivated by a couple of things, one of which is mastery, just like being the best. For example, right now on LinkedIn, our number one competitor, Zoom Info, we're going like 500 followers a month faster than them, even though they have 2,000 employees. Like that is just mm -hmm. awesome. So what I would say if you want to be complete within yourself, is like first understand what motivates you. Maybe you're motivated by mastery. Maybe you're motivated by learning. There are all kinds of different things. But if you can and you can find a job at the intersection of your passion and skills, then it's not going to ever seem like a huge chore. And this was a concern that my mom had with me when I was, when I was growing up. Uh, and I mentioned earlier, everyone's like, you have too much energy where it's like, how are you ever gonna how are you ever gonna keep a job when you can't show your work for math because you're not passionate about it? Or like, how are you gonna keep a job when in college you failed basics of accounting and then you signed up for it the next year and just never showed up? Ah, uh, that's a true story. So don't let me do any accounting work. This curse of mine that I'm unable to motivate myself for things that I'm not passionate about has been the number one advantage that I've had where I just like take joy in, in the work that I do. And a lot of it is taking joy and empowering those around you. Literally what you said, Hana, where you're like, one of the best things is to see someone just like reach their best self. And like majorly on, on, on my team now, and she worked with me at Chili Paper, said something once that was awesome, where she was like, I found that as my confidence increased, the quality of my work increased. And I'm just like, I'm just so happy when I hear that. It genuinely makes me truly happy. Like when folks on my team get a raise, I'll like call my dad and I'll be like, they just got a $20,000 raise. When you orient yourself towards the success of your team and it brings you actual joy, it becomes so much easier because you don't have to pretend. And then the reason it brings you joy is because this is a accomplishment for yourself too, right? When someone on a team succeeds, you don't have to say this is my accomplishment to feel pride from it, nor do you have to say it's my accomplishment to get credit for it. If you're always giving credit to your team, you're going to get a different type of credit. The credit of a reputation as a good manager. And maybe, I don't know who told you to talk with me, but like that's manifesting right here. In terms of like tactically, a couple of things that really helped me. One thing is as a child, I was diagnosed with ADHD and they were always like, take this drug or this drug, or maybe this drug will work or combination of these two drugs. 
Everyone can medicate their own way. My ADHD is not the same as someone else's ADHD, but I don't take anything right now at all. But there have been a couple of things that have really helped me. And the first was to kind of be your best. You need to be aware of where your shortcomings are. For me, that was organization. It's much less so now. And I've solved that by just time blocking everything. So every time I have a task, I'll time block it or I'll put it somewhere or I'll email to myself and then I won't lose things that way. That's one thing that you can do. Another thing is just find whatever you're doing in work that brings you joy. Think right now, what am I doing? What do I hate? What do I like? What do I love? Try and do a little bit more of the stuff that you love or schedule your day where you do something you love right after something that you really don't love because you have something to look forward to. The last thing I would say is just surround yourself with people who both compliment you and level you up and uplift you. Everyone's their own person, but like we've all worked with really negative people. And um, sometimes what negative people thrive with is other negative people with whom to discuss negativity and all kinds of things like that. So it's important when you meet those folks, that doesn't mean they're negative people. It just might mean that they haven't had a mentor who's helped them take the steps they need to be a positive person. Here's a non-traditional step. I have a mandatory minimum vacation time for those on my team. We have unlimited PTO. I had unlimited PTO at Chili Piper. We have unlimited PTO at Apollo. But that, I find, is not enough. Uh, so it's always four-week mandatory minimum. And emphasizing to people that you need them to take time off so that they enjoy their job is literally something that helps them not get fired. It's something that helps them achieve their goals because if people are just so stuck in this cycle of stress and everything and it's crazy, they're not going to be successful. So that's something that I've done recently for myself for the first time. I took four weeks off last year. I'm going to do the same this year. And it's really helped me work harder during the day because I know that I just have it so good. I get to take plenty of time off each year. I get to work with amazing people. And all I have to do to keep that going is just bring my best to work each day. And that, if it was like, all I have to do is bring my best to work each day to just work 300 days a year and not take weekends off. I, I couldn't motivate myself to do that. It's like, here, you'll make more money so that you can spend your time making more money. Like that is not a motivator to me. People work to live an amazing life. If you orient your time towards enjoying life, and working versus like having work be everything, then it becomes a lot easier to just enjoy your job, which then leads to more creativity and higher attainment of your goals in my mind. The other thing that's been really helpful for me is just like a really strong support network. So uh, my incredible partner, Abby, is always there to talk to me, uh, my family, my mom, my dad. I have a group of mentors across previous companies, folks like Lori Richardson or Daryl Prale or different folks like that that I can lean on. And they have always given me really good advice, which is it's really helpful to have people outside your company to receive advice from. So that's really helped as well. In short, I would say the number one differentiator is just to find a way to enjoy work. Because if you don't, you're not going to work well, or at least not work well for long. You burn out. You will burn out so fast and you won't see it coming. And trust me, I've, <laughs> I've been there. That's not fun. The other thing that I hear from you is just the gratitude. Like I can tell you practice gratitude within all of those things that you talked about. Like you have gratitude. And I think gratitude and love are 
so underrated. You know, we separate our personal, our professional lives, but like you need that. You need that as a foundation for both areas of your life. Yeah. I've found that there's a certain type of employee that I struggle to manage. And it's the employee who's like, I will do anything to get the job done because work is my life. And like, <laughs> I've heard this in interviews sometimes and it's like, well, guess what? You're not going to get the job. Uh, because as a manager, I find it is a unrealistic burden to have to shoulder someone's entire life where it's like, if work is your life, that means that you need to draw all your joy from life. That means that you need to get your identity from work. Work has to be the everything for you. And that is not something that mm -hmm. I feel I can provide as a manager. Maybe I'm just not a good enough manager to do it, but I just don't know how to do it. So I've always found that it's much easier to uh, work with the folks who, who want to work to have a rich, fulfilling life outside of work. And then work is like a means to that end. And like some folks, that doesn't mean you can't work hard. It doesn't mean if something comes up, occasionally you're going to have to work on a weekend. Although that should not be celebrated when you orient yourself towards someone living their best life in and outside of work. You're not giving them dating advice, but you're telling them to take PTO. It just becomes a lot easier because otherwise they're going to demand something that they'll never find from work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I found too, working with a lot of high performers, that they will go into jobs and they will give like 150%, 150% of everything that they've got every single day. And I'm like, okay, but where is all that coming from? Like, what are you taking that from? Because you're taking your energy, you're taking yeah. all of that from other areas of your life. And these high performers have to learn that giving... 150 or 200 300 percent or whatever it is that's really not possible um is not the best way for them to pursue and and be in their career they actually have to learn to dial it down what would it look like to do 10 percent less 20 percent less even 30 percent less yeah. and guess what you're still going to be amazing at your job mm -hmm. yeah i agree completely and um Whatever, this isn't going to be the most humble thing, but you look at the ascension of Chili Piper's brand. We went from like 5,000 impressions a month to 1 to 3 million. And then you look at what's happening at Apollo now, where we are getting about 40,000 impressions a month. Now we're getting, you know, 300,000 a month. Working the most hours is not the be all end all. I'm not saying I don't work hard. I'm not saying there haven't been times that I've stayed up late at night doing work. But I set a goal to get my work done in regular work hours. And that allows me to live this life outside, which enables me to be creative. And then I pass that on to everyone on the team. And they're just like killing it. They're just so creative and they're just doing the best. So in my personal experience, almost like 90% of my employees uh, almost doubled their salary in, uh, in about a year and a half at Chili Piper. And it's because they accomplish incredible things. And the same thing is starting to happen at Apollo now. So to those who are like, oh, you're taking time off. Like, I don't know. There is a serious problem there uh, in sales where it's like if you're if you have such a large comp component, then it's not possible mm -hmm. for you to take time off without cutting your your pay. But if you can avoid that or create a policy around that or something like that, like quota reduction or something for for PTO, my experience is that the teams that take more time off outperform the teams that don't. 
even though they work less hours. Yes, especially in marketing where like everything is a fire and especially in tech. And I would say the success that you've seen at Chili Piper and what you're seeing now at Apollo with your team, like that is just such a testament to your leadership and what you bring to the table and how you rally the team. Your leadership, I can tell, is just very infectious and that creates inspired action in others. And it's better to inspire somebody than to motivate somebody. Yeah. And I would I would just push back against it a little bit where it's like, I think that the leadership style that I have is one that is drawn a lot from the feedback from a team that trusts me. So the success there is just like the ultimate team effort and um, just like a bunch of people uplifting each other. We're now at Apollo, for example. I have two employees, both of which we've worked together for like three years now, and they delegate things to me. And I tell them, let's delegate things to each other. And they help me and their leadership style uplevels me and keeps me motivated. And they ensure that I get credit for my work and I ensure that they get credit for their work. So I really appreciate that, but it truly has been like a team effort. When you reach a point where someone on the team that you serve comes to you with an idea and then rather than like asking closed questions, which are those yes or no questions where it's like, do you think it would be better if we did this instead? That's like not a real question. You're just trying to lead your teammate towards an answer. Instead of asking like closed questions to try and put your opinion on it, you just ask questions to help them understand more and then you trust them and they know that it's their decision, not yours. That's when they're owners. That's when you have a bunch of people who are just, ready to challenge every preconception and out-innovate everyone else around them. I would say the number one thing that discourages innovation is managers who discourage autonomy. How can you expect someone to be innovative when they're not allowed to be innovative? When you've placed them into a box of your own creation? Just like take the box, burn it down in front of everybody, and then tell them that you're going to be there to support them, but that like you're not going to be there to protect them. You're not going to be there to catch them when they fall, but you want them to jump off anyway. And then you get a couple cycles of that being successful. You train people to, to realize that they're just epic within themselves and they don't need you. You don't want an employee who needs you to be successful. You want to train your employees to the point where it becomes less of a manager-managey relationship and more like a team dynamic where you just pass balls to each other and you realize that an assist is the same as a goal. I love that. Burn the box down. And if you can't, if you realize that you are having a hard time as a leader burning the box down, that's when you really need to go inward. Why is that such a challenge for you? There's something that is blocking you and it's probably some yep. sort of attachment or assumption or belief that you have that it's not serving you. It's not serving you in that moment and it's not serving the team or the larger collective and, and vision. All right, mm -hmm. Dan, well, this has been so fun. You have such a wealth, such a wealth of wisdom to share with everybody. And I so appreciate oh. you being on the show and bringing your energy. Um, and just in closing thoughts, what final piece of wisdom or advice or resource, whatever it is that you want to share with the people listening out there, what would you like to leave us with? Firstly, thank you so much for putting this together. I think that it's awesome 
I loved learning from you and it was so great to get more time to to chat versus our normal where I like watch you speak at events or like read your LinkedIn post. <laughs> I think this is a real service that that you're doing to the industry because even things like radical candor, a lot of leadership styles get co-opted and placed into this box of like the aggressive know-it-all manager who just thinks he's better than mm -hmm. his team or her team. So I want to thank you firstly. If there was one takeaway I would say from all of this, it, it is that managers are not there to get their teams to do things. Managers are there to support their teams. So if you take your narrative around like, I need to hire more people for my team to accomplish these goals, and you switch it to, I want to empower as many people around me, and they don't even have to be on your team. You can empower people in other departments and then see that mindset change where they take an ownership mentality and then they make quota next month and you just feel great because it's their accomplishment. But you can just be like, that's so cool that I was a stop along that journey. Teams are not there to do your tasks. You're there to support them. You're there to help them with their tasks. And, and the easiest way to, to build that relationship with your team at first is just to let them know that you're looking out for them. Not only so that they hit quota, but so that they live their best life and that you train them how to navigate their entire career ahead of them. And then someday you'll find that like these people end up being mentors. They end up hiring you. That would be my takeaway. Great advice. All right. That is all we have time for. Thank you so much again, Dan. And I can't wait to get this out for everybody to listen to. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. I hope you walk away with something empowering that you can take into your own leadership journey. Are you a high-performing executive looking to take your career to the next level or an emerging leader who wants to develop the skills you need to advance in your role and show up authentically? Or maybe you're experiencing burnout and struggling to find a better work